Well, good evening. It's good to see everybody that's here. Glad to have those of you joining with us there on Facebook, on Twitter, at HBC Tullahoma, YouTube, on Highland Baptist Tullahoma. Uh, great resources there. Share those with others. Tag them. Uh, heart the posts there. Like them. Give us the thumbs up on YouTube. Uh, subscribe there on YouTube. And be sure to click that notification bell. All that, when you do that, just helps to put it out in front of more of your friends uh, so that they can see the services and be involved with that too. And it's just another opportunity for you to be able to witness uh, to individuals. Don't forget our phone live streaming also because there's a lot of people who don't have that resource with the internet, uh, but they can listen on their phone. Uh, the number there, if you just want to call our church office uh, at 931-455-0645, uh, we'll, sure, we'll be glad to give that number to you. Uh, so that you can call that number. Uh, you can call that number when you're driving down the road and you're on your way to work. Maybe you work in Nashville or Chattanooga or someplace like that. You can listen to the whole service if you want uh, on the phone there. Uh, so I encourage you to take the time to do that. Uh, give us that call. Send us an email. We'll be glad to send it, that number to you that way also. Go to our church website, though, at highlandbaptistchurch.com. It's under the info tab there. It's about three or four tabs over. Uh, click that info tab. You'll be able to download the worship bulletin for today. Uh, just so you know, the verse the scripture on the front was wrong, <laughs> but everything is correct inside and the title was correct on the outside. So be sure to, to download that. You can also download the children's worship bulletins. Uh, those are in the windowsill if you need those uh, over here. And if you need the bulletin, they are in the windowsills also or at the tables uh, at the front and the back. And then also don't forget that we've got Vacation Bible School coming up. I want to encourage you to get registered for vac Vacation Bible School if you're not already. Uh, we've got the kickoff coming up. Uh, June the 4th, and so that's going to be here before we know it. Uh, that's what, two weeks from this past Saturday, and so I uh, just want to encourage you, if you want to help in volunteering with any of that, uh, please give us a call at the church office. We'll be glad to get you plugged in. Uh, so that's going to be June the 4th, 6 to 7.30. We're going to be having the fun food games, color walk run uh, there. So encourage you to take the time to be there for that. And then just come and help mingle with the families there and talk to them. Vacation Bible School will be the week after. That's going to be the 6th through the 10th from 6 to 8.30. Uh, and you can go to our church website as well as our Facebook page and you can be able to uh, pre-register there online. So if you've not done that yet, I encourage you to take the time uh, to do that. You can also do the paper version if you want to do that. And then you may have seen this uh, image scrolling in your announcements. Uh, we just want to encourage you, you can do this while you're here. You can take out your phone, open your camera up, uh, hover it over that little QR code on the back. I've actually done this from the balcony, so I know, it, I know it'll do it from all the way back there. A uh, little thing will pop up on your camera. Uh, you just click the button, tell it some information there about what size uh, you need, and uh, you don't pay for anything until you get it. Uh, the reason, one of the reasons we're doing that also is because Lifeway is running out of supplies. They won't be replenishing them. Uh, you know how supplies are with other things. Uh, that's the way it is too with uh, Lifeway VBS. A lot of shirts and things are running out. So get your order in. The order will be placed tomorrow. If you don't want to do it that way, just call, a, call the church office before noon tomorrow uh, so that Amy can get that uh, size down for you to get that ordered. So those are the things I needed to mention. Brother Mike, if you'll come and lead us in our song. For those of you that sing with the hymn book, turn to 417. For those of you that just want to sing to the words on the screen, have at it. We're going to sing 417, Trusting Jesus. It's Pat.
Take your Bibles, if you will, and turn to the Gospel of Matthew chapter 13 again. Uh, we're going to be here in Matthew chapter 13 for at least another Sunday and a half. Uh, there's several uh, parables here, actually a series of seven parables uh, that Jesus gives us that Matthew records in his Gospel in this location. And so tonight I've entitled the message, The Mustard Seed and the Leaven. If you remember last week, I did cover the mustard seed in the Mark passage, uh, so we're not going to spend much time on that other than just to read that section. We're going to spend more time on the leaven there. So Matthew chapter 13, verse 31 through verse 33. Let's stand and read God's Word in honor of His Word. He put another parable before them, saying, The kingdom of heaven is like a grain of mustard seed that a man took and sowed in his field. It is the smallest of all seeds, but when it is grown, it is larger than all the garden plants and becomes a tree so that the birds of the air come and make nests in its branches. He told them another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like leaven that a woman took and hid in three measures of flour till it was all leaven. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we just want to thank you tonight for your word. 
Uh, Father, as we seek to understand and to uh, take apart your word here, to look at it, to understand its meaning, I pray, God, that you will lead us and guide us through that process, that Scripture will interpret Scripture, and uh, your, your word will be a lamp unto our feet, a light unto our path, that as we uh, look at this passage and interpret it, uh, hopefully correctly, Father, I pray that you will uh, help us to see the applications for our heart and for our life and for our day and for our culture. So bless your word tonight, Lord, and I pray uh, that your blessings will be on us in the coming week to be a faithful witness in all that you've called us to do. In Jesus' precious name we pray, amen. You can be seated. You know, many of the things which cause us to wonder uh, about what's going on in, in our days are answered by the stories that Jesus told. This is a story that's a, a very brief story. You know, we talked about the, the mustard seed last time uh, and how uh, the world is the birds who come and nest in it, who take the, who are part of the blessing of the church being uh, in the world. But we come to this verse and this is just a one verse parable. Uh, it, it's the story about a woman who has three measures of meal or flour. She takes that meal or that flour and puts some yeast in it, and all of the bread is leavened and all of the meal is penetrated. End of story. <laughs> what in the world is Jesus trying to tell his disciples here? On the surface, it looks good, doesn't it? You know, every time I read this particular parable and, and think about the yeast rising, what do you think about? I think about bread cooking in the oven. That's what I think about. I think about that smell that bread uh, cooking in the oven just permeates the whole house uh, when you're cooking uh, that bread. You can't, you know, you can't eat the way that you used to. Uh, calories have changed. Fats changed. This is different today. You used to be able to eat all of the things that you could put into, into uh, a mixture to make bread uh, like we used to, uh, and it wouldn't bother you, or at least if it did, we didn't know about it. <laughs> now they've come to tell us about it, how bad it is, how bad all that butter is, and how bad all that lard is, and, and all those things that you might put into bread or biscuits. You know, when I think of bread, too, I think of biscuits, and whoo, some hot biscuits, you just pull them open, and the, the, the steam is just rising from them. Put some syrup with those things, man, that's a good dessert right there. <laughs> so, uh, that's, that even sounds good and smells good. I can smell them even now. When you read this parable, though, on the surface, it sounds like something really good. In fact, the common interpretation of this story of Jesus is that Jesus is talking about something that's very good. There are some who say that the yeast represents the gospel, the woman represents the church, the mill or the flour represents uh, the, the, the world, and through the preaching of the gospel, the good news of the Lord Jesus Christ, it spreads and people are converted and the world is changed for the better. And I've even preached that before from this passage, and I'm not sure that that's the, the, the right interpretation. Because if we believe the, what the Bible teaches throughout the preaching of the gospel, the, the world is going to get better, then we do have a reason to be discouraged because when you look around at the world, the world is rapidly becoming more and more pagan. Uh, the world isn't becoming more and more Christian. So if this parable teaches that the world is going to get better by our efforts to preach the gospel, 
we would have something to be disappointed and discouraged about. Also, I don't believe that this is uh, consistent with what the Bible teaches about the end times. When you look at 2 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 1, here's what the Bible says. It says, but understand this, that in the last days there will come times of difficulty. In 2 Timothy 3 verse 13, Paul says, while evil people and imposters will go on from bad to worse deceiving and being deceived. So the Bible doesn't teach that the end days uh, are going to end in a great mass turning of uh, people to the Lord, but rather it teaches that the world is going to close in a period known as the apostasy. And I think the reason that sometimes we go astray in this story is that we fail to put ourselves in the position of those who heard this story from Jesus for the first time. So we have to put ourselves in, in the, in, in the Jew, uh, where the Jewish people were at this time with their background, with their information, if we're going to get what Jesus is trying to say. And I think when Jesus told this story, the people in his audience were thinking, what a dirty thing to do. How sneaky can you get? Because I believe they would have recognized that something is going on here that's not the way it ought to be. I believe this story that Jesus tells here tells us a great deal about the whole subject of worship even. And I want to get into some very practical areas in this matter of worship. So we're going to go to the end of this verse in verse 33, and we're going to start at the end and work our way to the beginning. There's three words I want you to circle or to highlight or to mark in this verse. First of all, the first word is the word flower or the word meal. It says that she hid the leaven, the yeast, in three measures of meal or three measures of flour. The meal here reminds us of communion in worship. That's our first point, the meal, communion in worship. When this woman prepared this three measures of flour or meal and put the yeast in it, She's not getting a meal ready for her family. Uh, they would have recognized immediately what she was doing. She was getting ready to go to the synagogue. She was preparing a meal offering. If you go back to Leviticus chapter 2 and verse 5, you get some divine direction there about how these different offerings were a part of the worship of the Jewish people uh, and, and what, what was to be done. It says in Leviticus 2 and verse 5, And if your offering is a grain offering baked on a griddle, it shall be a fine flour unleavened mixed with oil. That's God's word there in his direction that he gave his people, the Jewish people. And that's how a meal offering was to be prepared. Meal in the Bible made out of fine flour is a picture of the worship of God. You go back to the book of Genesis, in Genesis chapter 18 and verse 6, this is the first time three measures of meal or flour are mentioned in the scriptures in Genesis 18, 6. And we have this wonderful story there of Abraham and how the Lord came down and these angels to fellowship with Abraham. The Lord came down and Abraham realized that this wasn't any ordinary meeting. And so he tells his wife, Sarah, to prepare a meal. And in verse 6, Abraham said to Sarah, his wife, he went quickly into the tent and, and to Sarah and said, quick, Three seas of fine flour, knead it, and make cakes. 
So here is the God of the universe, and he came down to have fellowship with Abraham. So around a meal, God and Abraham have fellowship together. That's what worship is having fellowship, having communion with God. And so when we worship ourselves, we gather together and we fellowship with one another. We also have fellowship with our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, and our Father, uh, the God of this universe. So think about how awesome it is when we come together and we experience communion in worship, fellowship in worship. We fellowship together when we come to worship God. And one of the most important ingredients of worship and fellowship is to be with other Christians. So if you really want to have fellowship with a person, one of the greatest ways in the world to do that is to sit down and share a meal. You, you can just sit down and have a meal with somebody and, and you fellowship together. That's one of the sweetest ways that, that, that can ever take place in, in fellowship, even in your family. I look back on our family uh, time when our children were, were growing up and through those school years especially. Uh, those were some of the sweetest times when we recall when everybody was gathered around the, uh, the, the family table, eating a meal, talking together, fellowshipping together. That doesn't happen that much anymore. And so the same thing happens with God's family when we come to worship. We gather around our common Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who is the bread of life. And we fellowship with each other. The Bible says in 1 Corinthians chapter 10 and verse 17, because there is one bread, not talking about a physical bread, but talking about Jesus, we who are many are one body, for we all partake of the one bread, the bread of life, Jesus Christ. And so we've been brought together in the Lord Jesus Christ. When you think about it, we're an unlikely gathering of people. We all who are gathered here, those of you who are watching online, we come from all kinds of backgrounds. We come from all areas of the country. We come from all kinds of cultures. We are an unusual, as the church at large even, an unusual gathering. But there's something that brings oneness, something that creates communion with fellow believers and our common relationship with the Lord uh, Jesus Christ is what that is. And so he's brought us together. When you read the book of Acts, you'll notice that the people of God, as they gathered together, uh, placed a great priority on communion, on fellowshipping with one another. And so you'll find in the early church that when the church was gathered, uh, when the church was gathered, they were gathered, and then you'll find the church was scattered, and then the church would be gathered again, and then the church would be scattered again. And that's exactly what happens for us as we come uh, to services, happens in a week's time uh, in, in our fellowship together. Three times every week, we're gathered. We gather on Sunday mornings, we gather on Sunday nights, for those of you who don't know that, <laughs> we gather on Wednesday nights. Uh, and, and, and then after those services, we're scattered. We're back to our job. We're back to our school. We're back to our neighborhood. We, we come together. We fellowship around the Lord. We fellowship around his word. And then in the strength of that bread, we move out into fellowship with other people. That's a wonderful, beautiful thing that we can do. So when there's communion in worship, there's communion between one another as we have fellowship with other Christians. Also, we have fellowship 
with our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. And so this fine meal, this flour here is the in the bread, is a beautiful picture of the Lord Jesus Christ. And by the way, that's why we don't take these offerings now, the, the, the grain offering. Uh, that's why we don't uh, see an altar down here and offerings being made on it. Because we believe that when Jesus died on Calvary's cross, Jesus made that one final, complete offering for sin forever. He has paid it all. Jesus is our one offering for sin. So all of those offering pictures are a picture of the Lord, including the meal offering, uh, where it tells, told us there in Leviticus that they were to bring that grain offering, uh, cook that cake on a griddle, and bring it as an as a act of worship. All that's been taken care of in Jesus Christ. And so this fine meal, this flour that's ground to, is ground together until it was smooth. And that's the picture that we see here uh, in verse 33. Uh, he takes this three measures of fine flour here. Uh, and, and so it's a picture of the evenness, of the consistency uh, of the Lord. Uh, and, and Jesus was always the same, and you could always depend on the Lord Jesus Christ. There's no inconsistency in him. And so then this meal offering uh, was to have no leaven in it. What we read about back in Leviticus, it was to have no leaven in it, no yeast in it. And so this reminds us of the absolute sinlessness of the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus was the absolutely sinless one. He moved on this earth. He lived on this earth for about 33 and a half years, and yet he never committed one single sin, no leaven. And then the Bible said it, it had to be mingled with oil. Uh, that represents the anointing, the filling of the oil is the Holy Spirit. And, and so Jesus was anointed with the Holy Spirit. He was filled with the Holy Spirit. So we have fellowship with Christ. We worship the Lord Jesus Christ together. Camp Kirkland, who wrote many um, um, choral music pieces for choirs back in the day, said this about the area of worship. He said, worship is a journey and the destination is God. That's the way every time we gather together to worship ought to be. That worship is a journey and the destination is God. So think about it. If you walk out of this service and you're closer to the Lord Jesus Christ than when you came in and you've learned to love him more and he's more uh, precious to your heart, then you have worshiped in this place. So here we are even tonight having communion, having fellowship with one another. So let me remind you that the Bible commands us to gather together for worship. Hebrews chapter 10 verse 25 says, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. I want to tell you, when I look around, I see the day drawing nearer and nearer and nearer of Jesus coming again. And so what the scripture commands us there, uh, the Bible commands us to assemble ourselves together. The Bible says, don't forsake it. Uh, does that mean we, we ought to come on Sunday morning? Yes, I believe that's what it's saying. Does that mean we ought to come on Sunday night? I believe that's what it's saying. Do we ought to come on Wednesday night? Yes. You know, I, I know sometimes we, we have, have to work, uh, but when you can you, and, and you, the doors are open, you ought to make the best opportunity that you can, make the most of that opportunity 
opportunity to be there. You're commanded in the scriptures to gather together for the purpose of worship. And what a blessing that is. What a sweet thing it is when we come together in the presence of the Lord. If you aren't here to that degree, we're not all we ought to be. And we're lacking something. I want to tell you, those of you who are at home, we need you. We need you to be a part of this fellowship. We need you to be a part of the work that God has us doing here. And so notice there's somebody who you could be a blessing to, and there's somebody who could be a blessing to you, who could be an encouragement to you. And so we're commanded in Scripture to fellowship together in worship. So this meal represents communion in worship. I want you to notice the second word I want you to notice from this, whether you circle it, highlight it, underline it, whatever, is the word woman. The word woman. Because the woman in this passage represents confusion in worship. Now, I'm not saying that in any way as derogatory against women. That's what we see here in this perspective. Because you'll notice in the Bible there are usually two representations for womankind in general. Sometimes woman represents the true church. Uh, in fact, uh, the beautiful picture of the church is that of the bride, uh, the bride of Christ. And so the church is like a lovely, beautiful bride, a beautiful picture. But when you move over to the book of Revelation, which we're going through on Wednesday nights in Revelation 17, you'll find just the opposite. There you'll find a woman there representing false religion, the Babylonian religion. And so I think in this story, Jesus is saying is that this woman is a representative of something that's wrong in religion, something that's corrupt in religion, something that's confusing in religion. And we're going to get to that in the act that she does. And it's something we would pass over if we weren't trying to, to really dig in and look to see what does this, this, this proverb, this uh, this. Uh, parable here mean? It says in the story that the woman takes the leaven. And what does she do with it? She hides it in these measures of meal. Now, there are a few versions that use the word mix, uh, but I think that misses it all together what this, what this really is here. Hid is really a much better translation because it means she was doing something secretly. It means she was hiding it and that she was deliberately doing something that wasn't supposed to be done, confusion in worship. So this cake that you would have been baking with these three uh, measures here of flour as an act of worship, she's taking the yeast and mixing it in. Now, if you'll remember the act of worship was that it was not to be with any yeast in it. We see here she hides the yeast in it. If it was something good, why is she hiding it? If it's something positive, why is she doing it secretly and deceptively? There are some who have that approach uh, of getting out the gospel. Uh, they say all you have to do is, is not let people know that it's the gospel. You just kind of slip it in there on the side. I hide it in your message. And that's, that's basically being dishonest. I mean, if you're, if you're up front with people and telling them and letting them know just exactly what you're offering to them, uh, you're basically, uh, if you don't do that, you're being dishonest with those individuals. It's almost like a bait and switch. Uh, so you're talking to them about something and then you slide it in here. This is what I really came to talk to you about. 
Jesus was very open. You think about the rich young ruler. When Jesus spoke to the rich young ruler uh, who came to him, Jesus looked at him and Jesus loved him and he saw tremendous potential in him. And he said, the rich young ruler said, what more must I do? I've kept all these things from my youth up. And you remember what Jesus told him? Go and sell all that you have and give to the poor. And do you remember what happened in that story? That rich young ruler turned and walked away. Jesus right up front tells this man the truth. Here's what you lack. And when the young man heard the truth of the Bible, the truth of the Word of God, it says that he turned and he walked away. The good news is, is that there were other young men that Jesus was up front with and they received the gospel. I want to tell you, this generation even today is looking for people who are honest. They appreciate honesty. Young people can't be over-challenged, but they can be under-challenged. And so this represents here confusion here. Here's something that is done contrary to the way it ought to be. She's hiding the yeast, which shouldn't have been there to start with, in this meal offering. The meal, the communion and worship... The woman, the confusion in worship, and now we're getting to the real key. Here's the third word that you want to notice. It's the leaven or the yeast. And I believe this is the real key to what's going on. It's corruption in worship. Corruption in worship. I believe it's true that in the Old Testament and in the New Testament, when leaven is used... It's used in a negative way, not in a positive way. And so that's why when we let the Bible interpret, let the Scripture interpret Scripture, we begin to realize the truth of a passage, and we begin to see some things here that maybe we didn't see before. And so every time you see leaven or yeast used, it's never in a positive way. It always refers to something that's evil. You go back to the Old Testament. Here's one illustration. In the Old Testament, when the children of Israel were getting ready to come out of Egypt uh, and, and they were to celebrate the Passover meal together, remember they were supposed to take the blood of the lamb and put it over the doorpost and everything. They were supposed to fix the meal uh, of the Passover uh, together. The Lord told them to go through their house and to be sure to get rid of what? The leaven, the yeast. Get rid of every speck of it. Don't let one speck be left. That means... Spiritually, they were to purify themselves. That means there was to be no corruption in their hearts. And that's a part of the Passover feast. And so you come to the Old Testament offerings and you'll find that leaven was used in a negative sense. When you come to the New Testament, you find the very same thing. You'll find without exception that leaven is always used in a bad negative sense. The Apostle Paul was talking to believers in, in the church at Corinth uh, who had a sin that was being allowed in their church. And, and, and they had a matter of open immorality that had been allowed in the church. And Paul emphatically says this in Galatians chapter 5 and verse 9. A little leaven leavens the whole lump. He's not talking about something positive there. He's talking about something negative. What he's saying is, you better get rid of this sin that's going on. You better deal with it. If you don't, it's going to permeate the whole fellowship. 
And so when we come back to this parable that Jesus is giving us here in verse 33, Jesus uses leaven here. And I want to show you how he uses it in another place or two. If you look at Matthew 16 and verse 6, Jesus said to them in Matthew 16, 6, Watch and beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and Sadducees. Not a positive connotation there, a very definite negative connotation. Now, the disciples, they were a little bit dense in this when Jesus told them this, and they didn't understand this, and they actually misunderstood when Jesus talked about the leaven of the Pharisees, because if you read into verse 7, the very next verse, they said, oh, he's talking about because we forgot to buy bread. And they think he's talking about physical bread. He's not talking about physical bread there. He's talking about the leaven of the Pharisees, the leaven of the Sadducees. So Jesus has to explain it to them. When you go to Matthew chapter 16 and verse 12, it says, after he explained it to them, they understood that he did not tell them to beware of the leaven of bread. That, oh, yeast in physical bread is bad. You need to avoid that. What he's saying to them is you need to beware of the teaching of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. He wasn't talking about physical bread. And so he, he's saying, how is it that you fail to understand? If you go back to verse 11, he says, how is it that you fail to understand that I did not speak about physical bread, is what he's saying. Beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and Sadducees. So Jesus is warning them about corrupt doctrine, about false teaching. He, he says you have to be careful and to watch out for the, for the leaven, for the doctrine, if you will, of the Pharisees. What was the doctrine of the Pharisees? Well, they were about the most religious people of that day. In the time of Jesus, uh, among the religious people of the Jews, there were several different identifiable groups. One of them was the Pharisees. And you would have probably never met anybody who was any more outwardly religious and righteous than they were. I mean, they tithed down to the number of leaves on the vegetables in their garden. I mean, they were, they were so self-righteous, they squeaked when they walked. This was a religious group and crowd. The problem with the Pharisees is that underlying their beliefs and their doctrine was legalism. They totally missed the point. They thought that the way that you get approval with God was by your outward good deeds. And so rather than understanding that there had to be a change inside in the heart that ultimately affected the outside, their religion was totally an outward thing. So, so you read about Pharisees who would, who would go and pray and, and they would stand on the street corner and they would, they would make a big spectacle of themselves in praying, thinking that if I, if I show out more in a sense in my prayer, that's somehow going to earn more favor with God. That's why they were always critical of Jesus and his disciples uh, when they were going through the field and, and they were eating the corn or, and, and different things like that. And so rather than understanding that there had to be this inside change, uh, they were totally an outward religion and, and it degenerated into legalism. And we still have legalism today. We have a lot of people who, who define Christianity altogether on the basis of a series of rules. And they have these rules that you have to go by. And if, all you, if you do all of this and you don't do all of that, then, then they consider that you're a good Christian. The problem is 
is that they misunderstand what Christianity is. Because Christianity isn't a matter of being inhibited by rules. It's a matter of being inhabited by a ruler. It's Christ in the heart. It's a change on the inside that changes the outside. So the underlying philosophy and doctrine, if you will, of the Pharisees is legalism. How does that affect worship? Well, the legalism of the Pharisees tends to create dogmatism in worship. It's the idea that my way is the only way. You have to do it my way or it's just not right. And so let's just get practical down to this. One of the ways that we can see this, we've seen this over the, over the last uh, couple of decades with, with music and worship uh, in the church. You know, Music is an important part of worship. It's a vital part of worship. I mean, think about it. How lifeless and how empty our services would be if there wasn't any music. And so I thank God for the music ministry we have here, for the, for the instrumentalists that play, for the choir that sings, for the groups and soloists and, and trios that sing together. Uh, we are blessed at this church, you know. But there are a lot of differences of opinions about music. Some people like music one way, some people like music another way. And the tendency of the Pharisee uh, who has this legalistic understanding uh, for, for all he does is to say that if it's not my kind of music, then it's wrong. Dogmatism. Let me put it this way. Here's an illustration. Adrian Rogers used this in his church one time uh, to help understand this. And so we're just going to take a vote here and let you uh, do a little quick survey here. And don't be afraid to raise your hands, even you at home. Uh, you can comment there uh, in the comments. Uh, I'm not going to embarrass anybody, put you on the spot. So how many of you like liver and onions? Be honest. How many of you, you just absolutely love liver and onions? Raise your hands. I'm not raising my hand. I'm just showing you what to do because I don't like liver and onions. How many of you absolutely don't like liver and onions? You at home, somebody's raising two hands for the people online there too. How many of you, maybe you're in between? Uh, if, if, if it's there, uh, you might eat it. If it's not there, no big deal. You're in between. Maybe. Okay. Here's the question. Of, you're either in one of those three categories. Either you love it, you hate it, or if it's there, I'll eat it. If it's not, I'm okay. Here's the question. Which one's right? Which one's right? Is the group that likes liver and onions right? And everybody else is wrong? Are the people who don't like liver and onions right? And everybody else is wrong? No, it's just a matter of taste. I may not necessarily be blessed by every kind of music that's done. I love all a whole genre of styles of music. Uh, think about this even. Sometimes we think about, well, do we clap when we're singing, when we're having music? Sometimes we do. Sometimes we don't. So whether we clap or whether we don't absolutely has nothing to do with, with being blessed. Sometimes we clap, sometimes we don't. There are certain kinds of music, they don't do a whole lot for me. Uh, but it may do a whole lot for somebody else. And so what you have to learn as a growing, maturing Christian is to be considerate of, of other people. If the last song didn't do a whole lot for you, hold on, maybe the next one will. You know, sometimes we have songs that, uh, I know Mike struggles sometimes to pick some songs that go along with my sermon uh, titles. He's told me that before. 
You know, so if you don't like the one we sing as a congregation, wait just a minute, you might like the next one. Some of us like the old-fashioned songs that we used to sing years ago. Some of us like a little bit newer stuff. We should never be dogmatic, though, about what music is right or wrong within certain parameters. But the doctrine of the Pharisees tends to be dogmatic in worship. They say it's our way or no way. If it's not our way, it's the wrong way. And so there's a second one. He, he says, not only beware of the doctrine or the leaven of the Pharisees, he says also, what's the next, second group? The Sadducees. Now, where the Pharisees' underlying doctrine was the doctrine of legalism, which produces dogmatism in worship, the Sadducees' underlying doctrine is liberalism. They were the liberals of the day, if you will. They denied the supernatural. They didn't believe in a resurrection. They didn't believe in angels. They didn't believe in the spirit world. Jesus told us exactly what makes a liberal because he said to the Sadducees one time, he said that you're wrong because you know neither the scriptures nor the power of God. And when you don't know the word and the power of God, you're, you're out from the parameters of what God's Word says. And so a, a liberal is someone who takes all the supernatural power out. And so when you take the supernatural out in worship, it tends toward formalism in worship, ritual in worship, just going through a form in worship. And that's where sometimes we get what some people may call high church, if you will. It's where they get into a very formal service. Vance Havner, he, he once said years ago, he said, when they burn the candles, it's a pretty good sign that the power's out. And he was talking spiritually. <laughs> By the way, you can make a form also out of your informality. We have to be very careful, even with our form that we use here, to never ever get ourselves in a rut, in a routine, that it becomes a ritual and doesn't mean anything to us. Our worship has to always be fresh. Our worship has to always be real. Our worship has to always come from our hearts. And so I pray uh, every Wednesday night when we pray with, when we practice with the choir that, that God will draw us as a choir closer to him so that our hearts are filled with his presence. And that just is a natural overflow in the worship experience because what the choir does up here in singing uh, with the congregation, you notice it, don't you? Uh, when, when, when Mike tells the choir to go down, it's like, cricket, 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 cricket up here. You hear the congregation a little, but when the choir's gone, there's a lot of volume that's gone out of it. And so uh, th when the choir's there, even just singing those congregational songs, it it's out of that heart that we're singing when we sing those special songs that we're singing. And so it must never become routine. A and it's not routine when we come into this place to meet God. That's what we're doing here. We've come here to be in the presence of God, to meet God, is something that ought to be real to the very depths of our being. So Jesus teaches us to beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and to beware of the leaven of the Sadducees. But there's another kind that he tells us to be aware of, and that's in Mark chapter 8 and verse 15. Jesus warns us not only about the Pharisees, not only about the Sadducees. He cautioned them saying, watch out. Beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and the leaven of Herod. 
The leaven of Herod, I've heard of the Pharisees, the Sadducees. What is this about the leaven of Herod? Well, there was another group in the Jewish religious community. They were the Herodians. They were those who joined in with the Pharisees and the Sadducees. They were the ones who helped to plot the death of Jesus. The Herodians were those Jews who had decided they would accommodate themselves to King Herod, who was the wicked Roman king of Palestine at that time. They adopted the philosophy of Herod. They adopted his materialism, his materialistic attitude. They adopted the philosophy that what really matters in life is to acquire things. You know, there are many Christians even today who've taken that attitude that life is all about just getting more things. Now, we all like things, but Jesus said in Luke 12 and verse 15, He said, Take care and be on your guard against all covetousness, for one's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. In other words, the one with the most toys doesn't win. If your goal in life is just to make a lot of money, to have a big car, to have a fancy house, you may get every bit of that, and what you get, it, it'll, uh, when you get it all, you'll find out that none of it will bring true happiness and peace in your heart. The danger of the doctrine of materialism is that in worship it produces secularism and becomes just going to another event. Worship becomes just like you're going to a ball game. So understand that this building is a building that's been set aside for the worship of the Lord, and, and we ought to treat it with respect. And when we come into this place, there's a time for us to fellowship. There's a time for us to rejoice in one, with one another, to enjoy one another. But there are times when the God of this universe speaks in the power of this place. And when he does we have to be prepared to respond to him and to obey what he tells us to do. Jesus warned us of the leaven of the Pharisees. And the Apostle Paul tells us how we're to deal with the leaven. The Apostle Paul put it this way in 1 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 8. He said, let us therefore celebrate the festival, that is to worship. That's what the celebration of the festival was. It was, an, it was a time of worship. Not with the old leaven, the leaven of malice and evil, but with the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. Jesus said, God is a spirit, and those who worship him must worship him in what? Spirit and truth. And so when you walk into this building, you came tonight, when you turned on your computer, your device there, whatever you're watching us on tonight, or you're listening to us on the phone, you came and joined with us in a worship service. And whether you're there or whether you're here, the living God is here with us. The Lord said, where two or three are gathered together in my name, there I am in the midst. The living God is here, and you can meet him in this very place. And if you don't know him in a personal way, you can know him tonight as your Lord and your Savior, Jesus Christ. Do you know Jesus tonight? If you do, then I would encourage you, as we've seen in just this one passage of a parable here, remove the leaven. Remove the impurities in your heart and your life. Don't hide it 
in the meal. Don't try to hide those things and cover it up. He already knows it's there. The leaven all throughout the Old Testament and the New Testament was a negative thing, a negative connotation of sin that we must confess before the Lord. The Bible tells us in 1 John chapter 1 and verse 9 that if we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us of all unrighteousness. That is where we must be as Christians in His presence. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank You tonight. Lord, just one verse that can impact our lives forever. Lord, I pray that we have seen this parable in the light of Scripture by seeing the Old Testament and New Testament implications of the leaven, that the leaven wasn't a good thing. The leaven was always a bad thing. Father, I pray that as we have examined even our own hearts tonight, if there is any wickedness within our hearts, if there is any sin within our lives, even within our thoughts, Lord, we know that it can't come from the outside in. It must come as a change from the inside out. So the first place we know that Lord begins is when we trust in Jesus as our Lord and Savior. So if someone's watching or someone's here tonight and they have not done that, then Lord, I pray that they would be faithful to call out to you tonight and to say, dear God, I know I'm a sinner. I need to be forgiven of my sin. And I come to repent of my sin, to turn away from it, and to turn to follow Jesus. I believe he died on that cross, was buried in the tomb, and arose on the third day. Jesus, come into my heart and come into my life and help me to live for you all the days of my life. Lord, there are some of us who are here tonight that we know Jesus as our Lord and our Savior, but somewhere along the way we've been stuffing leaven in the meal, trying to hide it. We've been allowing sin into our hearts, and it's rendered us ineffective as a Christian, especially in our worship. And so, Father, in our worship, in the act of worship even tonight, I pray that we as believers will call out to you at the very same place that we called out to you years ago even. Lord, forgive me of my sin. Cleanse me of all of my unrighteousness and help me to live for you. Father, I pray that you will cleanse us and that you will set us on the path of righteousness for your name's sake and help us, Lord, to one step at a time, one day at a time, live more faithfully for you as that change begins in the process inside of our hearts, inside of our lives, as we're discipled and growing in our walk with you. And Lord, I pray that we will be effective Christians, making a difference in this world for the sake and the kingdom of Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen. As we sing our hymn of invitation number 317, as the Lord's laid on your heart, as we stand, as we sing, will you make your way and come? Brother Mike, come and lead us.
Thank you so much for joining with us tonight there online. Uh, we look forward to seeing you Wednesday night. Uh, I will be via, via video from here. I'll be recording my sermon tonight. Uh, if you want to stay around and hear that, you can. Uh, but we'll be going through Revelation on, or not Revelation, we'll be talking about the end times. We'll actually be looking at the book of Daniel, uh, the 70 weeks of Daniel, and how that applies to where we are right now in the, in the seven years of the tribulation in the book of Revelation. So we'll be looking at that Wednesday night. So join with us there Wednesday night, 6 o'clock, and then be back with us next Sunday also. Don't forget also, get your orders for your T-shirt in before 12 o'clock uh, tomorrow, and we'll see you uh, this coming Wednesday. You have a blessed week.